This is Chris Brooks. Thank you for listening to this edition of Equip. Be sure and subscribe for free so that you don't miss an episode. For more information, visit our website, equipradio.org. Chris Brooks here, and I want to thank you for listening to this edition of Equip. Did you know that we are funded by the generosity of listeners just like you? Would you help us finish this month strong? Just call 888-644-4144 or give at equipradio.org. Well, hey there, friends. Welcome to another exciting edition of Equip with Chris Brooks. I am so thrilled that you've joined me today. Can you do me a favor? Strap on your seatbelt. We're going to navigate through the contours of culture, as always, with the lens of the biblical worldview on. But before we do that, let me remind you, this is the day that the Lord has made. He has given it as a gift so that you and I can rejoice and be glad in it. So let's do just that. Let's follow the words of the Apostle Paul. Let's rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Today is going to be a great program. I hope that it will be healing and encouraging, informative and enlightening all at the same time. Today, we're going to talk about what it means to have faith in the wilderness. Uh, You know, I think that every single one of us knows what it's like to feel displaced. Uh, If you've ever uh, had a local church family, a local church home uh, that was uh, near and dear to your heart only to go through situations or circumstances that led to a departure from that place or even the disillusionment that comes along with seeing the church that you loved and maybe even once led at go through such turmoil that it no longer exists. It literally dissolves right before your your eyes. You know what it is to experience that woundedness, the disillusionment of faith, and all that comes along with that. So how do you go from faith that's lost to a faith that is found and is sustainable? We're going to talk about that today with a great author and guest. But before we get into our topic for today, I do want to say thank you to all of you who listen to this program daily uh, throughout the U.S. and even into Canada. Yesterday, got a note from a Canadian listener and uh, as well as um, uh, a donation to the program. And, man, it was just an encouragement to know uh, that you guys are listening there and uh, friends are listening literally all around the country and with technology at times even beyond. So I want to say thank you for that. I want to say thank you for those who pray for me, pray for our team here, because your prayers do mean a lot and it does make a huge difference. I want to be transparent with you. One of uh, the most humbling aspects of ministry here on Moody Radio uh, through Equip is the uh, responsibility I have month after month to ask you for your financial support. It's a humbling thing. I think that every minister, if you gave them the opportunity or the option, would say, man, I'd much rather just focus in on ministering to the needs of people, sharing God's word. I would rather avoid having to have to ask for uh, the support that's needed to cover the cost of the the ministry. And uh, I try to do it as genuinely as I know how, with sharing with you the need without manipulation or false promises, while at the same time celebrating uh, what God is allowing us to do together. And what I've learned along the way is that while asking for support, it's certainly a humbling thing. 
when God provides through his people, there's such a deep connection that happens in our hearts together. And I really want you to know, every time you hear someone call into the program to give their life to the Lord or call in for prayer or call in uh, to receive a resource or or they connect with Jesus in a new way, I want you to know that you are a part of that, that that's something we are doing together and we all play our part. So that's why every day I try to carve out time to say thank you. And today is no different. So thank you uh, to Carrie, who's listening in California. Thank you to Violet, who uh, is listening and support the program from Ontario. Thank you to Andrea in Alabama. Thank you to Devin, who's listening in Tennessee. Thank you as well to Dean in Illinois and Craig in Florida. Each one of you are such a huge blessing and all of you who support the program. As we stand today, uh, we are at about 50% of our goal, which means that uh, we're getting really close. We, for the month, are about $2,600 away from covering the costs that are associated with this month. And so I'm just going to ask you to consider what part you might be able to play in that. And certainly not you who are just listening, tuning in for the first time. Uh, no pressure there. You, the gift that you give is just listening. And I want you to be blessed without feeling compelled at all to have to give. But those of you who do listen on a regular basis and have been encouraged, uh, I want us to have a testimony of financial stewardship, good financial stewardship, and tremendous spiritual impact. And so if today you can give towards that $2,600 uh, deficit that we currently face, I would say thank you for that. Whatever you can give towards that is much appreciated. Remember, you can do it as an auto gift partner, which is a monthly gift. That's great if you don't have a lot to give on a one-time basis. Or if it's easier for you to do a one-time gift, you could do it that way as well. Two ways for you to give, the phone number, 888 888- 644-4144. That's 888-644-4144. Or go to equipradio.org. That's equippedradio.org. So what does it look like to lose your faith and to find it again, or at least to lose your the, the faith that you once felt you had an airtight confidence in, uh, only to have that questioned, deconstructed, remodeled, renovated, if you will, and reconstructed? Well, Mike Cosper knows what that journey is like. Mike has been called one of the most uh, creative Christian voices of our time. Mike is a writer. He's a podcaster. He does all of his uh, work for and towards Christians in the post-Christian world. He uh, is the director of podcasting for Christianity Today. Maybe you heard his... uh, massively popular series, The Rising Fall of Mars Hill, or maybe you've read one of his books as well, like Recapturing the Wonder, Faith Among the Fatherless, or the book that I have in front of me now, his newest, Land of My Sojourn, uh, The Landscape of a Faith Lost and Found. By the way, Mike helped to start and was the founding one of the founding pastors of Sojourn Church in Louisville, Kentucky, which is home for him. Mike, how are you, brother? Hey, I'm doing well. I'm grateful to be here. It is good to uh, have you on. I know life is busy, so thanks for carving out time. Please uh, tell Sarah and the kids we appreciate the sacrifice. Uh, man, this new book just uh, it, it, it really kept me up all night. 
I was thinking mm-hmm. about the book and and uh I, you know you've been able to do something that I find it hard to do and that is to write about the most painful seasons of your life to think reflect deeply and to produce resources that actually are helping people to process that are on the, that journey how hard is that to write about not not the highlights of your life but the valleys that you've been through as well hmm. uh well first of all thank you for the for the kind words um yeah i mean it, it was in, it was in, you know it was incredibly hard like i um i'd love to say you know it was just a it was an easy process uh, you know i i I sat down one day and, you know, wrote the book in a a couple of days or whatever, but this book came about as a, as a, as a real painful, uh, slow process that, that, that actually took almost, I want to say it almost took three years to, uh, to write and to process. And, uh, and, and, and in part, I set out to write a very different book. I set out to write a book about the Sermon on the Mount and, uh, because I was in the midst of this journey, (laughs) I kept yeah. getting sort of drawn back into these other stories and characters from the gospels and eventually had to go, okay, I guess I, I, I guess I got to write about the transfiguration and just get this out <laughs> of my system. And that's the first chapter of the book. And it was off to the races from there. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a powerful book and certainly must've turned out totally different uh, than what you expected. Just a little bit of background for those who are familiar with Mike's story, you know that he was uh, a part of Mars Hill uh, and and served there with a lot of folks uh, before all of the demise of that ministry. And, no, actually, uh, I was uh, sorry. I just I just want to correct. No, I, I wasn't actually a part of Mars Hill. I was a part of a church called called Sojourn in Louisville. We were in Acts yeah. twenty nine with Mars Hill. With Mars Hill, that's right. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And so we had a ton of connections there and relationships there yes. as well. So yeah, yeah. Just wanted, forgive for, forgive that mistake. Then no, then no, that's right. uh, then obviously went through and you detail in the book as well uh, what happened in twenty sixteen around some. Uh, of the politics of 2016. So you've been through uh, all that the uh, evangelical world has to offer uh, as it pertains to that. I'd love for you to tell a little bit of the backstory of the title of the book. Did it come from the lyrics of Rich Rich Mullins? It did, actually. So when we were planting in, in 1999, uh, we had this gathering of, you know, a, a few dozen people that were meeting in a, literally meeting in an apartment for months on end uh, uh, and, and praying on Wednesday nights. And when when the decision came to join this other group that was looking at potentially planting a church, you know, when you start going through all the different options for what you're going to name the thing. And uh, a friend of mine, a guy named Nathan, uh, was a big Rich Mullins fan and said, you know, hey, what about, you know, what about the, the word sojourn? And honestly, I don't know if I'd ever even heard the word before. Um, <laughs> uh, I'd heard the name Sojourner Truth, but not in terms of, yes. you know, the word sojourn meaning anything. And I was like, well, so what does that even, what does that even mean? And so the conversation about that song and the meaning of that word really became, um, really, really came to define a, a lot about the the identity of our church early on. And so, yeah, so I was telling this story where there's so much connection to the land and, and the Holy Land and, you know, these these images throughout the Gospels. It, it kind of it was kind of a last minute decision to pivot the, the, the book title because uh, it, it just made so much sense to go back to that original source. So let's talk about the subtitle. So obviously the title of the book is Land of My Sojourn. Uh, 
But let's talk about the landscape of a faith, faith lost and found. What do you mean by that? Yeah, I, I, I think the experience that I had, and I think this is probably true for a lot of Christians in in similar situations and and in in a similar stage of life, that kind of midway stage of life, you find yourself in this moment where faith, as you understood it, no longer makes any sense, and. Um, you know, that comes about from a combination of confrontation with your own sin, but also confrontation with suffering, with loss, with grief, uh, with trauma. You, you, you have these sort of disrupting experiences and the story you've told for your entire adult life about who you are and what, what your life is about and what you're committed to and all of that. For me anyway, you know, in, the, in that window between about 2015 and 2017, uh, all that got really, really distorted and turned upside down. And so the, you know, the sense was, it's, it's not that I lost my faith in the sense that I abandoned my faith and I ran off to the big city and uh, chasing wine, women and song, but it was really that I lost a version of my faith that, uh, that left me incredibly disoriented. And it, and mm. it took a long time to, to reconnect both to, to Christ and his church uh, as a result. What role does writing about it play for you, and what do you hope people who pick up the book uh, get from the book? Yeah, man, great question. Yeah, I, I'm definitely the kind of person who has to sit down and write to know what I think about something. <laughs> um, yeah. I know, you know, I know people who are much more verbally gifted and 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 oftentimes they're verbal communicators. I, I have friends who are preachers who will say, yeah, sometimes I don't even know what I think about a particular passage or doctrine until I start teaching on it. And all of a sudden I find myself yeah. linking things together. That, that's the yeah. way writing is for me. And I, and I needed to sit down and, and write through this story um, in order to in order to make sense of it for myself as well, for sure. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, as soon as you said that about writing, I, I immediately identified again from a verbal perspective. I'm a verbal processor, and so if I want to know yeah. how I feel about something, I got to talk it out. And yeah, um, exactly. And in many ways, uh, that's why I do radio. But um, what is your hope for those who pick up and read it? Yeah, my my hope is that Christians. You know, one one way I've put it lately, as I've as I've been talking about it more, I hope Christians who are experiencing that sense of spiritual disillusionment and disconnection or frustration, whatever whatever that looks like for any individual person, um, I hope that they can read a book like this and recognize that what they're experiencing isn't uh, isn't wrong, right? Like it, yeah. it isn't. There's nothing morally foundationally wrong with feeling like your faith doesn't make sense, that you are disconnected, that the story you've been telling doesn't make sense. Um, I, I want people to not moralize that stuff so that they can sort of enter into it and go, Hey, where is God at work? How am I going to, how am I going to find God's mercies in this season or in this place or in this, in this circumstance and situation? And I think that, um, I think the scriptures offer a lot of direction for it. If you've ever gone through uh, the dissolving of a local church, the ending of that relationship, been wounded by a spiritual leader, experienced spiritual abuse, we're going to talk about all of it and how to find your way home to Jesus with Mike Cosper. So you stick and stay. Much more to come next up on Equip with Chris Brooks. 
Good friendships are a blessing. Jesus even said there is no greater love than the sacrificial love between friends. He knows we need each other, but how do we build these powerful relationships? Rebecca McLaughlin has written a guide to help us start, and I highly recommend it. It's called No Greater Love, a biblical vision for friendship. You can have a copy when you support Equip this month. Simply call 888-644-4144 or visit EquipRadio.org. Welcome back. Thank you for those of you who are calling to support the program. Again, deeply humbled by that. Super grateful for you. The phone number to do that is 888-644-4144. I'll give it again, 888-644-4144. Or if it's easier, go to our website. It's safe, secure, convenient. No waiting there at equipradio.org. There's it's uh, the website again, equipradio.org. Today we're talking about what it is like to go through spiritual disillusionment, to feel like an exile, to uh, maybe even lose relationships, uh, in, in particular relationship with your local church community, and to find yourself having to be on a journey of faith that you never thought you'd be on. With Mike Cosper, his book, Land of My Sojourn, is a great book. I want you to find out more at equipradio.org. Even though it may be one man's memoirs, it really is the story of a generation and so many Christians who have experienced this. I know cities, Mike, that have been rocked as uh, major churches in those cities have just gone through division, separation, uh, some all all totally dissolved. And obviously those stories are being told more and more and more. And uh, you've helped to tell some of those stories. And it seems to me, Mike, that central to those stories is not one causation, but it does seem that narcissistic leadership has become an emerging theme. So talk a little bit about that, the emerging of awareness of narcissism. And and is there something within, I'll just focus on evangelicalism because that's what I know, but is there something within our culture, in particular evangelicalism, that actually fuels and produces narcissistic leaders? Yeah, that's a great question. So I would say, I mean, I think if you you look at um, if, if you look at the way sociologists and psychologists have, have talked about narcissism, you know, it's, it's been an emergent problem, um, that, that people have identified particularly in American culture over the last 50 plus years, like as a, as a trend, our society as a whole is kind of gravitating towards a more self-centered, self-oriented, um, uh, self-focused way of, of being. And, there's probably a lot of factors that that go into that, but you know the end result. Uh, Christopher Lash, who's one of the the premier sociologists who's mm. written about this, you know, he says he says that for the narcissist, the world is a mirror. And if, if you if you think about that in church leadership, what that means is if if the leader of the church is a narcissist, then everything that they look at inside the organization they see as a reflection of themselves. And then mm. it's supposed to reflect well on themselves. It's supposed to make them look good. It's supposed to um, sort of amplify their sense of 
their sense of meaning, their sense of who they are. Mirror, um, mirror on the wall. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and if you, you know, if you think about it, like uh, if, if you're coming into ministry with a certain kind of woundedness uh, that's authentically wounded and authentically, you know, broken by no fault of your own, ministry can be an incredibly dangerous place to carry that stuff. Yeah. Um, because all of a sudden you find yourself, uh, you know, you find yourself on a stage in front of people who are literally looking at you saying, tell me what God wants to do with my life. Like that is heady, powerful, dangerous stuff. Um, and I say this in the book, like I think I do genuinely think most people who, who get into ministry don't get into it because they're narcissists and they just want praise and they just want that affection or whatever. But it, there are, there are incentives that kind of bring out the worst in us because of the way we treat pastors, because of the platform nature of ministry these days, particularly I think in, in kind of the post internet age where everyone's yeah. a, a sort of mini rock star. It's a, it's, there's a, there's a powerful number of effects that are contributing to it and attracting the wrong kind of leader. You know Chuck DeGrove far better than I do, but I would say his re writings on this have been most enlightening for me. And yeah. um, and uh, I, I would highly encourage folks to find out more about him and uh, his writings on narcissism. But it does seem to me that it's easy for us to say, and I could l name the list of uh, high-profile leaders that we could say, oh, there's a narcissist, you know, and it's easy to do that. But yet... The more I listened to you, I found myself coming out of the rise and fall of Mars Hill in particular saying, whoa, 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 maybe it's us. You yeah. know, maybe it's our interviewing style. I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a pastor and I've gone through rounds of interviews uh, for various leadership positions. And what I find to be the focus more often than not, don't get me wrong, the, the fruit of the spirit does come up. It certainly comes up. But the gifts of the Spirit seem to be far more of an emphasis, in particular, the desire for an entrepreneurial leader, a visionary, somebody who's going to increase the profile of a particular ministry or organization. And while no one would ever advertise that as, hey, this is the primary thing we're looking for, it seems to me, Mike, that we have proven a propensity to uh, be willing to make massive trade-offs to have somebody who is gifted. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. And, and the, other, the other element of that is when we think about, you know, you know I, was like the, I was always sort of a second chair, third chair leader, right, in the church. But, but I wanted a leader who you know, would, would show up and bring that sense of grandiosity. Like we're going to do great mm -hmm. things for the Lord. We're going to take over the world. We're going to, you know what I mean? Like we're going to, we're going to, the, there's no stopping what we can accomplish in, in ministry. And, you know, part of what I try to wrestle with in, in the book is, is to reconcile, to, to recognize the part of myself that, that wanted that, for lack of a better term, that wanted that dream to come true that wanted to be part of that kind of a grandiose story. Yes. Yeah. And so long as I'm buying into that, I'm going to empower those instincts in that person, not yes. realizing that, you know, what I came to find out later is that in, in the ways that I helped build a culture like that, 
actually helped build a culture that was incredibly damaging to myself and, and many others. You know, I'll, I'll just simply say that it's amazing. And, I, and much of my story, similar to yours, is as, as, as well taught as I feel like I have been able to be blessed to receive. I've had some great teachers in my life teach me some great lessons. It's amazing how easily we can forget those warnings, those those lessons, and yeah, just buy into uh, um, all that our culture will promote and center. And all this to say that I really do believe one of the benefits of your work, one of the benefits of your story is it's caused me to appreciate those who excel at at character, at faithfulness, at the fruit of the Spirit. Now, what a blessing it is when you don't have to trade off fruit of the Spirit for uh, gifts. What a blessing it is when there is this combination. But I will tell you that um, I think your story leads to a definite ownership that we have to have, and we can't just lay it all at the feet of narcissistic leaders and, uh, and we need to, as a culture, question even those things that we measure because uh, within the church, as you've often said, we, we should experiment at times with different measurements. And, uh, and, and I'd love for you to talk about that. We got to take a break. But on the other side of the break, I would love for you to just share some of the things that if you could have the church measure, what yeah. would you have us measure? Because... I get the sense that it might be a little bit different than what we are. I also want to hear about your trip to Israel. You gathered together, a group of people went to Israel, and it really impacted your faith. The book is Land of My Sojourn, The Landscape of a Faith Lost and Found. And all I'll say is this, that as you read uh, Mike's writing, you come to a place where you sense that in spite of the brokenness all around me, Christ is still faithful. His church is still his bride. And there is still hope in Jesus. I want you to get your copy. Go to equipradio.org. I'll be right back. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. What a great day. Mike Cosper is here with us. He is uh, director of podcasting and Christianity Today. He's also an author. Um, the Land of My Sojourn is his newest book, subtitled The Landscape of a Faith Lost and Found. We've talked a lot over the years about church hurt, um, how to find a healthy faith, deconstruction, reconstruction of your faith. All of that, I think, is reflected in Mike's writing, and uh, I would encourage you to pick up the book. It will edify your heart, and I think you'll identify with it deeply. And more importantly, I think you'll be able to find a faith that is sustainable and lasts. Uh, as we process a lot of what's happening in our culture, things that we need to be aware of, Mike does that well. So go to our website, equipradio.org. I also want to say thank you as we are um, two days away from the end of this month. We are now about 50% away from our goal. James uh, from Tennessee, Murfreesboro, Tennessee, just uh, expressed his generosity to the program. 
And uh, thank you so much, James, for your gift. What a blessing, brother. So grateful for you. Thank you for listening, James. Maybe like James, you're listening. You've been encouraged by the program. Just know that we have two days, and we are roughly about $2,600 away from our budgeted goal for this month, which is absolutely doable, but it does require uh, generosity. And that could be one person who can do what, Others may not typically be able to do because God has blessed you or because of the stewardship that you've demonstrated over the years. Or it can be just a matter of everyone doing their part uh, and uh, giving as generously as they can. However the Lord would move upon your heart, I would simply ask that you would just pray. And uh, if you can, uh, please support. The uh, number to call is 888-644-4144. Uh, 888-644-4144, or go to equipradio.org. And again, maybe you can uh, join James in supporting the program today. Uh, Again, equipradio.org. Mike, on our program, we've dealt with uh, what would probably be categorized as church church hurt, uh, spiritual abuse. We've done webinars on it. We've really delved deep into it because it is such a prevalent, I would put it in the top three issues of our culture today, along with uh, digital discipleship and human sexuality, as far as things that the church needs to talk about. But one of the questions that often comes up, Mike, is how do I find a healthy church? And I want to ask that question to you, but maybe in a different way. What would you say a healthy church should be measuring because we so often are taught as pastors and leaders that we need to measure how many people attend, how many people join, how many people give. Those are three things that we should be measuring. But it seems to me that if that's all you measure, you're going to be probably more at risk of being unhealthy. So what should a healthy church be measuring? You know, a few years ago, around the time I was wrapping up um, the the podcast about the fall of Mars Hill. Uh, I had a conversation with a, a pastor of a very, very large, you know, 20,000 plus member mega church. And he was, he was talking about like, this exact thing and, and saying like, look, I've, I've been doing this for decades. All I know how to do really is measure the number of, you know, people in seats and, and what the giving was last Sunday. Um, and as, as a half joke, uh, at, at the time, you know, I said, well, what if you spent a year and the only thing you kept track of was hospital visits and how many uh, members you could get to turn up for funeral home visits and, and funerals, right? Wow. <laughs> um, me, and the idea being, what if, what if the things you were measuring were ultimately about the church showing up in people's lives at the moments of deepest crisis. What would happen Mm. to your community Mm. uh, if that was the only thing you cared about for an entire year? How would it change relationships? How would it change the way people experience grief? How would it change what you you thought mattered? How would it change the way you thought about attendance and and some Mm. of these other things? Um, My guess is if, if anybody actually takes up that experiment, it will be incredibly transformative for their communities. Um, and, and to be fair, like, I understand why churches measure 
the number of baptisms sure. and the number, you know, like we're at the end of the day, we're, we're evangelicals. Like we want to see people come to Jesus and we want to see lives change. We want to see people tied into community. But, um, but I think and on that, top of that, I'll, I'll say this, Mike, yeah. that um, when you're leading an organization or in the leadership team, uh, a ministry, you have staff, they yeah. have families. You're constantly thinking about the, the provision for them and making sure that, um, you know, things like payroll and benefits and all those things have to be done because there are families that depend on that. And uh, there's cost to buildings and programs and all of those things uh, play, play in to this. But I love what you're saying because it seems to me that that drives uh, w- a different question, and that is the question of what type of people ought we to be. Right. right? It, it's more than just what size of ministry are we hoping to become. It is a, a, a question of discipleship. You know, we started measuring things at our church like um, – how many people are involved in church outside of Sunday? How many people are involved in group life, right? Community group, we call them life groups, small groups, whatever you define them as. Uh, we, we started asking that question because if we're, if we're hoping to get people to live out the Christian faith in, uh, in a watching world, in community with one another, in communion with other believers, then we should be looking at that because one of the things that I've learned along the way is that what you measure, you meditate on and what you meditate on, you become right. Or to put a different way, what you meditate on becomes uh, what you worship ultimately. And so you, you need to, I think, ask this question and maybe you add to Mike's list. Maybe there's other things that you want to add to, that list that really center around the type of people we ought to be instead of just who, uh, who, who what size we, we are. Uh, let, let me ask another question, Mike. Um, how do you advise looking back over your journey for people to respond to unhealthy leadership if they encounter or if right now they're, they're in a place where they clearly are worshiping uh, in a place where it's being led by a narcissistic leader, an abusive leader, what wisdom do you share? Yeah, I mean, I'm—I'll be honest. I'm—I'm I'm very hesitant to give specific advice because every situation is a little different, and um, it's hard. There are no blanket solutions to this when there's unhealthy leadership. I think the first thing to begin to look at, if you have that concern is to start asking, how, how do I know that the leaders in my community are held accountable? What does accountability look like for the, the top leaders in this church? Are they, as often happens in, in church structures, are, is the lead pastor held accountable by people who work for him? Right. Which in, if that's the case, like we, we need to sort of put parentheses or, you know, put uh, quotation marks around held accountable because that's a very difficult, that puts, you know, that puts those leaders in a very difficult situation. They're supposed to sort of confront and constrain their boss. Like it, it's not how people work. It's not how relationships work oftentimes. Um, so I think there's some common sense things to look for like that. Like what does accountability look like? Um, and then I think that, you know, over 
over time, um, you know, most, most churches who, that, that deal with this stuff end up dealing with it in one of two ways. One is that people just start to leave, that there's an exodus. And, you know, that can be, again, that can be really hard. Some people will say, well, I want to stay because I want to be there to help it get healthy on the other side of whatever the controversy is. Um, and then the other way that it, it falls apart or the, the other way that these, these conflicts resolve is that there's, a, there's a, either a moral failure or a moral confrontation where, where the leader ends up having to step down in some, some form or another. My sense is that over time, this stuff eventually comes out. But it can take decades. There's no, there's no guarantee. Sure. So, I, I was fortunate. I mean, I I stayed connected to my community, and I'm I, that mm. that doesn't happen for everyone. But um, that's the you know that's the challenge that I think every person has to has to reckon with. And I would just say uh, again from your book, I think one of the questions we need to start with is looking within and asking Correct. some really important hard questions what attracted me to this ministry and to this leader in the first place? And are, is, is there some reworking in my own heart that has to happen? Uh, and in what ways might I be contributing even to the toxic leadership? Uh, those are hard questions. It's easier to blame someone else, but I think all of us on the individual and congregational level have to ask those questions. I want to get to Israel really quickly. It's so fascinating, that part of your story. Um, how have you grown in the way you see or maybe even sympathize with the Apostle Peter? Yeah. Yeah. Um, man, I mean, it, 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 um, yeah, I, it, it's hard to even put into words what it, it meant to me, you know, my first trip and, and second trip as well, uh, being over there uh, a few years back because I'm a, you know, I'm an imaginative person. Like I'm a, I'm a creative person generally, but I'm an imaginative person. And so there was something about being immersed in, in the space, in the Holy Land. And I'd heard this for years from other Christians that like, when you go, the, the stories just feel different. There's just a different sense to them. Um, and, and I would just say if the, the, the biggest effect going over there changed for me, was it, it truly changed how I read the gospels in particular. And and I just got this sense from being there of what it must have been like to sort of walk in the footsteps of Jesus and the disciples. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, 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 the book opens with, uh, um, you know, along with my story, it, it opens with this meditation on, on Peter's experience at the transfiguration. And what, what I try to push for in this book is sometimes I think as preachers, we can give Peter a hard time. We can kind of make him the punching bag for being the loud mouth and the reaction. He's an easy target. <laughs> he is. But I also think he's like, I think we're all Peter though. Like, I think we're all in that place at times. And I think he, if, if nothing else, he says quickly and does quickly the things that are in, sort of natural impulses for almost anyone in his, in his place. And uh, so I just began to really identify with his journey from the transfiguration to Golgotha to Galilee at the end of the book of John. And uh, uh, I think that in that journey, that sort of journey into a truly dark valley uh, and out again, uh, we, we find something that's very, very central to the Christian life. You say that Peter didn't want the Mount of Transfiguration to end and you could relate. In what yeah. way can you relate to that? Yeah, you know, we 
we've all had what we refer to as mountaintop experiences, right? Like you, you, you go to a retreat or you go to a solo retreat or you go to an event or something and you just have this sense of encounter with the spirit and presence of God that is incredibly meaningful and transformative. Um, I look back on some of the, the, the most beautiful seasons of ministry in my life. It's like I was living at the mountaintop. And it's, it's hard to even describe what exactly that was, except that all of, all of life just felt rich with the presence of God and with deep and intimate community with other believers. And um, so I, I, I kind of liken that to the, trans, you know, the experience of the transfiguration. You know, we, we see Peter uh, react to Jesus glowing white, and it's like he's saying, can we just stay here? You know, I'll build shelters. Can we just stay? Can this last? I think we've all been there, Mike, and I think we all know what it's like to go through some form of disillusionment, but yet there is faith on the other side. When we come back, I'm going to talk to Mike about what his faith looks like now after all that he's been through. I want you to get a copy of the book, Lynn and My Sojourn. It will bless your soul. Go to equipradio.org. We'll be right back. You know, I've heard that for every one person that sends a gift to support Equip, there are probably 10 others that don't. But I can tell you this, we deeply appreciate every single one of you who support this program. Your impact is huge. Maybe it's been a long time since you've contacted Equip, or maybe you've never responded. Isn't it time to call? Here's the number, 888-644-4144 or equipradio.org. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks, Land of My Sojourn. You can go to our website, equipradio.org. Maybe this conversation has been helpful for you. Many of you are calling, and I could have gone to calls, but I wanted to process as much as we could the content of the book with Mike. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to give away a few complimentary copies of Land of My Sojourn to friends who uh, go to our social media pages right now, just request, hey, I'd love to get a, a copy and share with us a little bit about uh, why uh, this would be a blessing to your heart. We'll pick some names and we'll make contact with you today if you were one of the ones who were selected. But again, Land of My Sojourn, The Landscape of a Faith Lost and Found, Mike Cosper, go to our social media platforms right now at Equip Radio. Uh, let us know that you'd love a copy. We'll pick a few names, and we will contact you right away. Um, Mike, how do you rebuild after? What does your faith look like now? There are many people who are asking, after church hurt, after spiritual abuse, after disillusionment, how do you how do you rebuild? So I'd love to hear you just kind of share what that is like for you, what that's been like for you. Yeah, um, for us, it it really began with community. And, um, you know, there's, there's, there's no way I think for Christians who are feeling that sense of disorientation and disconnection, uh, to, to restore faith without that context of community. That doesn't mean that you have to go back to the church that hurt you. That doesn't mean you, doesn't mean you, you know, it may not mean that you show up on the front doors or on the, the doorstep of a church uh, on the first Sunday after you leave either. It might, you know, sometimes the soul takes a minute to heal. Sometimes walking in the door of a church can be a very difficult experience for somebody who's experienced uh, 
uh, spiritual abuse. Um, at the same time, I think if someone says, I'm going to keep Jesus and I'm going to disconnect myself from Christian community, they're going to have a very, very hard time maintaining that. Uh, and that's just, I think that's just, you know, I think there's a lot of biblical arguments to make for why that's the case. But I also think that's just experientially something that I've seen over and over again is when people get disconnected from community, they often lose lose connection to the faith itself, to their their faith commitments, their doctrinal commitments. Um, and it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's sad. It's unfortunate. Um, and again, I understand why it happens. But community is the first step. You have to figure out who's safe that I can bring my story to and say, and I'm really hurt and I, I want God and I want, I want to find hope in the gospel again, but I'm just yes. really hurt. Can you help hold this with me? Can you process this with me? That's really good, which leads to maybe the most important question of all. After all that you've seen, all the disillusionment you've gone through, the disconnect you've experienced, why have you not given up on Jesus? And and how do you feel about the local church in this season, Mike? Yeah, I mean, I you know, this is a cliche, but I'm going to say it because it's like a lot of cliches. It's true. Like, I think I haven't given up on Jesus because I don't think Jesus gave up on me. I think I think over and over again in my own story, when when I hit rock bottom for for one reason or another, uh, the Lord opened a door you know, or, or provided a means of grace through another person, through a circumstance, um, where, where I just couldn't avoid the reality that, that he was present and, um, and that he cared and that he, that he heard my story. And I think as well in coming back to, you know, for me, one of the things I, I say often is like, I reading the scriptures period was very hard for a long time because in, a, in an unhealthy community, the scriptures are often weaponized as a way to sort of wield power. And so there, the, it took a long time for me. I mean, I, could, I couldn't read Paul for a very long time. He, his letters in particular were, were weaponized in that way. But I remember coming back to the Gospels first, and the Gospels and the Psalms in particular, but the, the, the Gospels first and, and seeing the person of Jesus as just such a compelling and a compassionate figure and someone who I still couldn't quite figure out. I couldn't quite peg him. Um, and and it was through, I would say for certain, through the the person of Jesus and, and um, yeah, just being captivated by who he is and what he, what he does and, and how he transforms yeah. the lives of people around him that the Lord restored a certain kind of, uh, a certain kind of faith. I love your dedication page, which simply says, for all who have sailed on rivers of heartache, my fellow travelers and sojourners, the prone to wander, and those who kept the light in the window. Most of all, for Sarah, Dorothy, and Maggie, just a few more miles to go. The land of my sojourn, the landscape of a faith lost and found, Mike Cosper. I encourage you to get your copy. Mike, thank you again, brother, for carving out time, for visiting with us here at Equip today. God bless you, my friend. Thanks, man. I'm so glad to be with you. I want to encourage you to go to our website there. You can get a copy of the book as well as support the program. Until we're together again next time, as always, remember, Equip with Chris Brooks is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.